Welcome! You are listening to Audio from the Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.com. Hey, Table Podcast listeners, Brett here, grace and peace. Glad to be with you all. So this is uh, part four in our series titled The Book of James. And in the series, we're, we're just covering some of the major themes and insights of this very early, very uh, practical, praxis-oriented book uh, in the New Testament. So the title of our message this week is Waking Up to Words. Our passage is from James chapter 2, uh, verses 2 through 8, which says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So there's a uh, delightful interview uh, podcast interview that I listened to between uh, the famous um, MIT researcher and podcaster, probably better known as a podcaster, um, named Lex Friedman. You might have seen some of his clips making the YouTube rounds. Um, and he was interviewing the historian and writer uh, Yuval Harari, who's also quite famous. He wrote um, the book Sapiens. That was like his major hit. And then after that, Homo Deus and, and I think maybe one or two others. Um, I've only read those those first two. Um, but they're, he's great, great, great writer. And so they, in this interview, like they cover, you know, many topics, but I especially enjoyed, uh, Harari discussing the recent rise of artificial intelligence seen in large language models like chat GPT, uh, which I'm happy to announce did not write this sermon. (laughs) So Harari is, uh, I've been waiting to make that joke all week. I've been very excited about that. All right. So Harari is a very um, vocal critic of where AI is going. And um, honestly, like in terms of tone, probably the reason reading James reminded me of this is because he sounds so much like James in our passage today. (laughs) That is to say, very negative, very critical um, but even beyond that, where I see kind of the deeper connection between James and Harari is in why they are so critical. Um, you see, at one point, perhaps to kind of counterbalance Harari's negativity, um, the interviewer, Lex Friedman, um, he said, well, you know, also, though, AI can potentially do a lot of good, too, right? And without hesitation... Um, although he hadn't mentioned anything of this sort up to this point in the interview, um, Harari very quickly said, oh, oh, of course, of course, yeah, AI holds much potential for good. I mean, geez, it wouldn't be developed if we didn't think it could be you know, just an amazing thing for the world. Um, but he went on to explain 
that this is precisely what's so tricky about technology in general. You see, the more powerful a technology is, the more capable it is of both, not just one or the other, both tremendous good and what? Tremendous e evil. <laughs> like no one's worried about a weak technology. No one in the world's worried about a weak technology. Like, hey, look at this tech. It uh, isn't dangerous because also it can't do anything good. It's just a weak technology, right? But a powerful technology like the internet, like the computer, like splitting the atom, like AI, like, whoo, proceed with caution. Not because it can't be good in theory, but because it is powerful beyond all reckoning precisely for that reason. That's why it can be so good and also the worst. And this, I think, is James' kind of unspoken assumption. Because hearing the passage, we might wonder to ourselves, like, geez, James, such a downer, man. You're so freaked out. Like, why are you living in such fear of speech? I mean, just listen to his language again. Uh, he says this about the tongue. It makes great boasts, verse 5. It's a fire. It's a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It is itself set on a fire. It sets the whole course of your life on fire. That's all just from verse 6. <laughs> it's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue. Those are all verse 8. I mean, it, it's right. This is pretty intense. It sounds like James, he is, oh, he hates it. He is just against this whole thing called speech, words, the tongue, like all of it. Um, and yet... And yet there are hints, perhaps he's kind of like Harari, isn't just against AI, but there's actually hints he's maybe not quite as skeptical as these lines might indicate. Hints, right, that, that just like Harari doesn't hate AI, doesn't um, see the good it could theoretically do, like he just understands its power. James also isn't simply against speech, but he recognizes its power. He recognizes its power. That's the message, church recognize the power both for evil and for good. And you can see these hints of the goodness of speech and James kind of secret, almost unspoken hope that followers of Christ might be able to, by God's grace, begin to tame the tongue in the opening verses um, with these metaphors. Verse three, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, James writes, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they're so large, they're driven by these strong winds, they're steered by what? This very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. What's, what's James driving at with these metaphors? Is, is he saying, oh, words are, words are just bad, no. No, and this is our big idea um, this week. The big idea is wake up to the power of your words. Wake up. I mean, you think your iPhone's powerful? You think your computer's powerful? You think that's the most powerful technology I have? Nope. Words. You, the power of speech is unbelievable. It, it makes and creates and tears down worlds and nations and families. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's the thing, though. You and I, we are just too familiar with our words, aren't we? And we just take them freaking for granted. Like, hey, I am who I am. I say what I say. Like, pfft, no. 
I reject that. <laughs> I do not accept that answer. No, stop. Stop. Become aware. Notice your speech. Notice what you are saying, what it is doing to you and those around you. Notice how it is forming and deforming your world. See, elevate the speech. You elevate the person. Elevate the person. Elevate the speech. It's a virtuous cycle. Some of my favorite memories as a child are uh, the way my parents, my brother, um, supported me and cheered me on. I mentioned um, I was into swimming um, a few weeks ago, but I also um, love baseball. I can still recall my mom, my brother, like all just cheering me on, just going nuts in the stands. I also recall how my dad, um, numerous times before a baseball game, I was always so nervous because I was um, a pitcher. And I just felt like, oh, I mean, I took it so seriously. Even as a 10-year-old, I was like, this matters. I might as well have been in the World Series. And I was so nervous. And uh, I can recall that my dad, before I had to pitch, he would take me aside. He put um, his hands on my shoulders. He'd look me right in the eye. And he would say, Brett, remember, win or lose, I love you. Win or lose, I love you. Oh, friends, that's magic for a 10-year-old. Those are memories that never leave a child. See, elevate the speech, elevate the person. Elevate the person, elevate the speech. It's a virtuous cycle. I can also recall sitting around the dinner table, talking with my parents, but my mom especially. This was one of her great gifts. She is like such an encourager of people. She believes in you down to your toes. And down to... Well, maybe her toast, however you'd say it. You know what I mean. <laughs> and so we would sit there around the dinner table and we would just like talk about our dreams um, for life, like our hopes and our aspirations and our longings. And my mom, like she was just so good at encouraging her boys to think bigger. And really both my parents though, like they believed we could do anything. And because of this, the, the Tilford boys, for those of you who know my brother and I, we have, um, you could say the Tilford boys have many a fault, no doubt. Um, but one thing no one ever said about us was, you know, Brett and Josh, they just lack belief in themselves. They just no, no self-confidence whatsoever. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not really our problem so much. Um, and I wonder, like, where does that come from? I think it might come from those dinnertime conversations. We're just like, yeah, we can do it <laughs> because our parents believed in us. Right. Elevate the speech. Elevate the person. Elevate the person, elevate the speech. It's this virtuous cycle. Of course, uh, sadly, the reverse can also be true. When I um, worked in the corporate world, I used to eat lunch outside uh, when the weather was nice. And uh, one day I was sitting on um, this bench. It had a, a large hedge behind it, which separated it from another kind of separate um, small picnic table on the other side where others would often eat. And one day I'm sitting there on the bench and some men, they sat down to their afternoon lunch break. But because of this hedge, they did not know. I was like four feet away from them. And they, they seemed to be close friends. But I'll never forget the words that they spoke. Now, I was about, I don't know, 25, 26 at this time. So, you know, I fully understood male culture. I've been in many a locker room with its uh, humor crude humor. And, uh, it's not good. Um, but it, you know, it doesn't like phase me. Um, 
So it's not just like they were saying curse words. I mean, they were, but that wasn't the point. Um, they, they were speaking of people they knew, primarily women in their life, some in the office where they worked, some that they were dating. And they literally were just openly speaking about how they were manipulating them, objectifying them. I mean, like, again, I'm used to a cert- like certain sort of tame levels of toxic masculinity. This was like over the top. I think it was because they thought they were in a private space, right? They were they were speaking so openly and honestly. Um, I'll never forget how they just laughed and laughed about how they were treating these women. It, like it was one of the few times I've ever listened to a group of people speak and and actually like be, begin to kind of fear for their soul. Like in that moment, I was in the midst of a huge deconstruction process at this time. So I don't even know if I believed in hell, but I was like afraid for them to go to hell. Like I was like, oh God, oh no. Oh, this is, this is bad. Like in that moment, what was happening? Their speech was undoing them. It was breaking their souls. See, degrade the speech, degrade the person degrade the person, degrade the speech. It's a vicious, vicious circle. And so I guess in ways like we all have to choose, don't we? Do we want a virtuous cycle or a vicious circle? So how how do we elevate our speech? Um, that leads to our, our application. And I actually want it to be, um, I want this to be a pretty modest goal this message like not i will never say another negative word in my life nothing but positivity and truth is going to flow from my mouth like that's no no that's too ambitious um maybe we just start here what if our our kind of practical application is simply what if we just keep quieter than usual like maybe just start there and we actually have in the culture all sorts of folksy sayings around this um perhaps you've heard this statement if you don't have something nice to say what don't say nothing at all. <laughs> or uh, another one I've heard is, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> so kind of think of this practice of keeping silent, holding your tongue. Uh, and I don't mean like, I'm not talking about a meditative practice or something. I mean like in day-to-day life, learning to bite that tongue as a bridge. Think of this as a bridge practice that spans the raging river of hurtful speech. Like one bank is where you are today. Perhaps uh, perhaps your speech is like mostly you feel kind of degrading you or at best neutral, um, right? At worst, you're speaking from a place of anger, speaking from frustration, speaking from hurt. Um, but the other bank of this river, the other side is, is the virtuous cycle, Right? Speaking with awareness, speaking with gentleness, compassion, where, where every word you utter is like some precious jewel of life-giving wonder. And I think too often we simply try to make the leap across the river uh, when what we need is a bridge. We need a go-between practice. And I think simply learning to shut it. <laughs> will get us a heck of a long way. There's a, uh, there's a true story in Christian history of an, um, an ancient Christian monk named Abba Agathon. 
um, now Abba means like Papa, Father. So he, at the beginning, he was simply um, Agathon, but but he would go on to become um, an Abba because he became a spiritual leader to uh, the desert fathers and, and mothers. And he was a, a person who later in life would be renowned for his wisdom, compassion, kindness, spiritual depth. I mean, you can go online and like find quotes from Abba Agathon, like just beautiful, beautiful theology and um, oh, just this guy was just wisdom itself. I mean, wonderful. But the story goes when he was a young man um, and specifically a young monk, he had trouble with his speech. It, it was apparently, as James says, set on fire by hell. It was a source of evil and suffering in his life and he knew it, and, but he just couldn't stop. Uh, can you relate to this? And so in desperation, he, he took a stone and he placed it in his mouth and he lived that way for three years. <laughs> now, I, I looked into this. I couldn't determine whether like, A, he simply stayed silent for three years or B, and probably more likely this, that, that any time he wanted to speak, he had to take the stone out, but that very act right, of the annoying thing of having to take the stone out kind of brought awareness to what he was saying. And through, you know, that awareness, he got better. I'm I'm not sure which path it was, but either way, three years, a stone in his mouth, three years, he did that. Now, does this mean, you know, you all need to go out and live, get a stone and put it in your mouth? Uh, you know, honestly, I think that might be a choking hazard. I don't want to be held liable. So I'm not going to suggest that. Instead, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is um, maybe do this. Try taking like one day off this week from all negative speech. No complaining, no envy, no gossip, no hating. Let that, let that practice, that day, let that be a stone of sorts for you. Um, I did this a while back um, with just complaining. Just took a day. I was like, just, just one day, Brett. No complaining. And y'all, oh my gosh, I was blown away by, well, two things. One, how difficult it was. <laughs> and then two, which is kind of tied in with number one, um, I had no idea how much I was complaining like, I consider myself, I'm a fairly positive person, or so I thought. But I just, I, this like brought such powerful awareness to like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I am like, I'm just a complaint machine. Like, uh, I mean, especially with this weather, I'm sure many of you, have you been, uh, if you're in Texas, have you been complaining about the weather? <laughs> I really try not to complain about the weather. It is hard. I I try to just say it's toasty. Ooh, it's toasty out. My kids the other day, they're like, uh, Dad, why do you keep saying it's toasty? It is not toasty. It's blazing hot. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm trying not to complain. <laughs> so, okay, so that's the practice. Take one day, just one day a week, and just shh, quiet. Let it be like a stone in your mouth one day. And not because, you know, one day will change everything, but because, right, that leads you to a greater awareness of your speech. You might even choose then to kind of continue with like, maybe it's a day a week um, where you're just trying to be wise in your speech and then allow that practice to filter into your other days. So that's the invitation this week. Wake up to the power of your words and, you know, keep quieter than usual. 
may we be a transformed people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.